There's a snap. There's a kick. It is up. It is no good. No one missed. I think we got a heck of a shot of winning. We beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. Eli Manning stays on his feet. Airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. For all you non-believers, disrespect us. Talk crap about the defense. Like we're the third best defense in the league. See you in Pittsburgh. Can't wait. Fitzpatrick. Enter. Eric Decker holds it in. The Jets win in overtime. And the New York Giants, given the last rights by many in December, are the Super Bowl champs in February. This is NFL Friday. Going long on all news, reaction, and game picks for the Giants, Jets, and across the NFL on WFUV Sports. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of NFL Friday, our first NFL Friday in this month of September. As always, we have a lot to get to today, including some local headlines with the Jets and Giants, as well as some news from around the league. We're going to be talking Pats. They cut Cam, of course. We're going to talk Jaguars and all the the vaccine stuff going on with them. We'll even preview the opening night of the NFL season with Bucks Cowboys because this is our last show before the NFL season finally gets underway uh, on that Thursday night game. And of course, with me as always to discuss all the news is Mike Messina. Mike, how are you doing today? Good, Mike. Good to be here. Finally, the rain stopped, so I have power again. So that's good. I'm able to record with you guys. It's great to be on as always. Yeah, and also I should mention today, uh, and we're going to hopefully be doing this for the rest of the season, but we're starting right before the regular season gets underway, and hopefully we can continue this position. We're welcoming in Colin Lochran. He will be joining us today uh, as our fantasy football expert. He'll also be touching on the other segments as well. Uh, but, you know, we're hoping that each week for your fantasy teams, even for our fantasy teams, get a little bit of advice going on. So, Colin, great to have you on the show as well. How are you doing? It's great to be here, man. I'm doing fantastic. I'm looking forward to a brand new football season coming so many storylines going into the year. I feel like it's going to be a blast. Definitely. I know uh, I got my Jets shirt on right now. I'm feeling pretty good about things where they are right now. I mean, obviously, I'll probably have to burn the shirt in about a, a month, but that's OK. That's how it is. But, you know, let's get started with the Jets. You know, I think we'll probably go more in depth uh, next week uh, in terms of a more like a headline for that first game for Jets and Giants. But there's some news as we kind of come out of the preseason here. There were cuts, moves made by both teams with Jets and Giants. I think the Jets made some more headlines, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll touch on both. But starting with the Jets, I think the biggest news since our last show, and uh, Gulata and I, who did the previous NFL Friday, for those who listened, we had touched about this. Do the Jets go out and trade for another pass rusher and in in, uh, because of the injury to Carl Lawson? And not only did they trade for another pass rusher, they traded for another guy named Lawson. They traded for Shaq Lawson from the Houston Texans. They gave up a sixth-round pick in 2022 to get him. Um, this, of course, comes after Shaq had been traded to te- the Texans already this past offseason from Miami. Uh, you know, look, I said it before. I think the Jets needed to go out. They needed to add another pass rusher. They were getting thin at the end. And with a system that Salah runs, you rely heavily on that defensive pressure up front. And, you know, not only did you lose loss into the ruptured Achilles, but, you know, Vinny Curry is going to be out for the season with the blood disorder. Um, you know, hopefully he'll be back next year. But um, it just it's a it was tough for the Jets. I think this is a good move. Look, Shaq Lawson is not Lawrence Taylor. He's not going to get you, you know, a 20 sack season, but he can be productive. You know, I think Salah gets the most out of his guys. We'll see what happens. But, Mike, what are your thoughts on this move for the Jets? 
Yeah, I like it. It was something that needed to be done. Um, obviously, Carl Lawson with the ruptured Achilles kind of kind of took the pass rushing job, made the pass rushing job open again. So so they go out, shine, sign trade for Shaq Lawson, twenty twenty two six round pick. I mean, it, it. I feel like it's a great fit. The Texans had a lot of depth at the GM position, so they really didn't have a need for him. And, and the Jets are hoping he can fill that gap. And Mike, you said he's not going to have a 20, uh, 20 sack season. He only has 20, 20 and a half sacks his entire career. So yeah. he's definitely not having a, a 20 season, can, uh, 20 sacks dream. in one season. What'd you say? We can dream. We can dream. We can, yeah, we can absolutely yeah. can. But I think it's going to be perfect. He's going to fill that void perfectly and be that DN that the Jets needed in Carl Lawson, who's no no longer going to be playing this season. So I think it's a good move and it's something that they got done pretty quickly, which I think is good because now they can look past that and go into depth on, on where they need more players and who they can sign next at other positions. So I like the move and I, I think, and I hope it works out for them. Tom? Yeah, I love this move as well, man. I mean, year after year, or at least for the last you know five, six years now, the Jets have had basically a vacancy in terms of talent where you look at their roster as a whole and you say to yourself eh, I'm not sure if they're really checking off any boxes in particular and then this year you know Carl Lawson goes down someone who's supposed to be a huge piece for them on the defensive end of the ball so to go out in there and get Shaq Lawson to try and fill some sort of a need there big move and Joe Douglas very savvy as well you're only going to have to pay him 990,000 in terms of base salary and for a guy that's getting 25 uh, pressures and six hurries that's that's not bad at all you know, that was the stats last year. Who's to say that this year he doesn't come out there and do even better? I mean, you know, obviously, you know, injuries factor, you never know. It's football. It's a rough game as always. But for all we know, Shaq Lawson goes out there and has the season of his life for a team that could badly use it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit there, Colin. I mean, last year was a, a pretty big uh, – I mean, look, I think it's all fair to say that Shaq has had a disappointing NFL career given – uh, his high draft status when he was drafted by Buffalo. But last year, Miami, you mentioned some stats there. Decent year, 18 quarterback hits, which was a career high. Um, you know, it, it, it's – I'm like like I said off the top, you can't expect a whole lot going into this season. I think you bring a great point up with the financial savviness of the move. You know, you're not paying him really anything. And the year after this is non-guaranteed, so you can easily get rid of him. So who knows? Maybe he ends up having a good year. You keep him around. You know, it never hurts to have a good player. You know, I think this is a year for the Jets to find out what they have. You know, we went through the roster on our first edition of the, the roster. We went through the, the schedule, uh, our first edition of the year, and we kind of gave some some season predictions. Now, obviously, the Jets have had some major injuries since. So I, I would see more maybe in a five-win range for them right now. I mean, even with this young corner situation, who knows? But you know, I, I, this is a learning year for them. They're going to figure out what they have, what they don't, and then obviously going forward, they'll make adjustments, but I'm happy with the move. You know, I wonder, I don't think he'll start right away. I think, you know, cause maybe a situational pass rusher, cause he's going to have to learn the playbook a little bit. I mean, as a guy coming off the edge, it's not like you're learning, you know, the linebacker position or something for a new playbook, but you know, opposite Jonathan Franklin Myers or, you know, the second year man and Bryce Huff, we'll see what happens. But obviously also I think Quinton Williams on the interior is going to have to have another big year and moving on with some other Jets headlines, you know, another important move that happened with them this past week was they traded Chris Herndon, the tight end who was originally drafted in 2018 out of Miami. They traded him to the Vikings uh, for, and they traded him along with a sixth round pick in 2022 to the Vikings for a 2022 fourth round pick. Now Herndon, look, I'm a Jet fan. So obviously, you know, I've followed his career quite closely and to put it mildly, it's been disappointing. It has not been, 
a, a solid career for him. Uh, you know, he was drafted in the fourth round, so I can't say that there were these crazy high expectations, but, you know, he showed promise in his rookie year. I remember he had a really cu- a nice couple of games against the Packers, uh, the Texans. He was making some nice grabs down the stretch in 18, his rookie season. I remember against the Green Bay, he had a one-handed catch when he kind of spun around and looked a little nice. And, you know, the stats are going to jump out of you, but, you know, for his rookie season, when he came on in that second half, 39 uh, catches for 502 yards, four touchdowns, respectable enough for a rookie, especially one that came on, you know, came on strong later on. Uh, but then, you know, his sophomore year, he had a, a very bad sophomore slump, was suspended to start the season with a DUI, then had a hamstring injury, had to come back from, then cracked his ribs in his return against the Giants in November, ended up being out for all of 2019. And then 2020, struggled with drops, you know, concentration issues, fumbles. It was not a good year for him. So, you know, it's not a surprise. I can't say I'm shocked that they really got rid of him. It is a shock in the sense that the Jets don't really have a proven solid tight end. I mean, after initial cuts, all they had left was Tyler Croft. And I mean, Trayvon Wesco, but he's really more of a fullback now. Uh, and they re-signed Ryan Griffin and Daniel Brown to bolster the room. But essentially, you know, I, I, I can see some saying, you know, maybe he had the most potential, maybe you can keep him. But, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not really going to knock the move. I think, you know, you're getting a pick back. It, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, you said it, Mike. He had a strong rookie season in 2018, and there was a lot of expectations for him going forward. And you, you mentioned the DUI, the injuries he had in, in 2019 that kind of kept him off the field pretty much the entire season, only played one game. And then in 2020, he didn't really have that confidence that he had in 2018. He, he, he lost everything. He wasn't confident. He was dropping balls. Um, he, he really wasn't doing anything the Jets really uh, uh, drafted him for. And he wasn't really doing anything for the team. So I like this move. I mean, they get back a fourth rounder. He, he was a sixth rounder. So, so I, I don't feel like that is a, a terrible move. Um, no, I'm sorry. He was a fourth rounder. Yeah. They basically recouped what they gave up for him, which I, which I think, you know, is it's a wash essentially. So exactly. So, so it really makes no difference to me or, or to the jets in my opinion, but they are in, are in the hunt for a tight end. I, I mean, he fell below the depth chart from Croft, and they need to go out and sign somebody at that position because who they have right now is not going to be able to, to take the Jets, I'm not going to say until the playoffs, but deep into the season and, and no less because injury-prone or skill-wise, they're just not there. And, and the Jets need to go out and, and get that veteran tight end that, that, that they could have and, and help them succeed and go forward. But I don't really hate this move. I, I don't like it. I don't hate it. It was kind of a wash, like you said. They got him for they gave away what they got for him. So so that's that. But he just had no confidence. So I don't know how he could have really fit into into this Jets roster moving forward. Yeah, I mean Herndon's a guy that never lived up to his his hype, especially after that rookie year, like you were talking about, Mike. He, you know, he had a decent rookie year. Uh, I understand the move from a front office point of view, but from a pure personnel standpoint it, it, to me it's it's a little bit mind-boggling in the sense of you have a rookie quarterback it seems like he's going to get the starting job from day one um and this is a guy that's going to need targets one way or another and tight ends often serve as that safety valve that can get you cheap yardage over the middle you know maybe herndon's not that guy that's going to take over a game in the way that you know say a george kittle or a prime rob Gronkowski can but could he get you some cheap yardage and get wilson out of a, out of a pinch you know, maybe. And I look at this roster right now and the tight end depth is just so thin. I mean, you're going to have to go out there and make a trade. I mean, I saw Zach Ertz's name was getting thrown around there online. Maybe that's something they look into. I don't know how you'd pull it off on any level, but if they could do it, that'd be great. Because the reality is that Wilson's going to need some sort of a safety valve to throw the football to. 
because looking at that wide receiver depth chart, I don't see anything that really stands out. I mean, Jamison Crowder, decently experienced guy, but he's not exactly blowing anyone's mind right now. Uh, I, I just think that the importance of having a solid tight end, albeit even if it was Herndon, who, you know, hasn't lived up to expectations, can't be overstated, in my opinion. You know, even Mark Sanchez had Dustin Keller in those 09 and 10 championship runs. I, I just think it's a piece of a winning football team that you, you might have been able to roll the dice on and just hope for the best that, you know, maybe Herndon has a decent year and helps Wilson out in that way, even if he's not, you know, the guy that we thought he would become. Yeah, I mean, with Herndon, I get what you're saying, Colin. You know, I my thing is, for, for from a GM point of view, like you mentioned, I get it as well. But from from a roster point of view, I mean, look, let's be honest. The, the uh, even though he had all the potential, Herndon uh, by basically after 2020, I know he kind of had a couple of games down the stretch last year, but you know, he he basically reverted into a blocking tight end. He wasn't really a good scheme fit for this West Coast offense that Mike Shanahan. Um, I mean, Mike Shanahan, Michael LaFleur is going to run here with the Jets. Um, so, you know, I, I understand. Now, you mentioned Ertz. I think that was actually mentioned to Joe Douglas in a press conference earlier this week. Like, hey, you know, uh, what are you going to do at the tight end position when you go out and trade for somebody? And, you know, then he announced that he'd re-sign Daniel Brown and Ryan Griffin. You know, Ertz is not the guy that he was. I, I like the move as well. I think that would actually be a good move for the Jets, um, especially with the rookie quarterback, as you mentioned. Um, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Like I said, I think this is a big evaluation year for the Jets. The biggest thing is they have that offensive line that's going to protect Zach. And then, you know, as long as Zach is standing upright and healthy, uh, I think that's the biggest thing. You know, not having a tight end, I do think it was a little bit of a true tight end. I mean, a bit of a mistake on the Jets' part in terms of assembling this team. You know, Croft showed out a bit there in that Packers preseason game. You know, two touchdowns, him and Wilson seem to have a good connection. So we'll see what happens there. I do want to push back, though, on the – the receiving room comment, because I personally, I think this is a pretty decent receiving core. I'm not going to say that this is like, you know, they don't have OBJ and Julio, like the old Julio, and you don't have like Stefan Diggs in there. You know, you don't have these Devonte Adams, you don't have an elite, elite receiver, but you know, you, you mentioned Jameson Crowder, but I don't even view him as the, 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 the top receiver right now. I mean, Corey Davis, you know, say what you will about what he did in Tennessee. I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, having a, a, a poor performing quarterback, uh, and neither Marcus Mariota. Tannehill's nice, but he's Ryan Tannehill still. And I think Corey Davis, from what I hear in practice and obviously in the preseason, he's been balling out. And a lot of people have been saying he's playing like a real number one. Then you throw in Elijah Moore, who I think most people agree was fell pretty far in the draft. You're hearing this hype of he's the next Justin Jefferson. OBJ is hyping him up. You know, um, AJ Brown is hyping him up. Uh, and then you see other guys like Keelan Cole, I think is a decent receiver there. Jameson Crowder, you mentioned, you know, Braxton Berrios, Jeff Smith. Their, sec their second round pick, Denzel Mims. I'm not saying these are sexy names. These aren't names that are like, oh my gosh, they have this guy, that guy. Um, but I'm not as concerned with the with the uh, with the receiver room. But I guess to kind of wrap up the segment, I'd be interested to hear from both of you. You know, what do you really? What is given the tight end situation, given your own appraisal of the other weapons? You know, what is a reasonable expectation uh, for this offense in terms of production and performance? So should we expect a lot? You know, not a little. What do you think, Mike? Production-wise, no, I, I don't think we're going to be expecting a lot. Like I said on our first episode, I believe you gave you gave the Jets, what, seven wins you gave seven them? Seven wins, uh, which I would take back now. I wouldn't go as – I would say more five now is because I think the loss in injury is a killer. Yeah, so, so you gave them seven wins, and you, like you just said, you'll change it to five. I gave them four, and I, I'm going to stick with that. I mean, I, I don't see that much production coming out of the Jets this season. You mentioned the wide receiver core. 
I like it as well. I'm with you on that. Elijah Moore has so much potential. I, I'm a huge fan of Denzel Mims and what he can bring to the table. You mentioned Corey Davis and how he's already acting like a number one wide receiver for the team. And that's huge for the Jets and Zach Wilson. So he has his guy he can always go to when he's in trouble, when, when he's running out of the pocket, whatever he needs. Corey Davis can be that guy for him. And Jameson Crowder, I mean, he's still a number one wide receiver uh, on a lot of teams too. And I feel like he's going to be able to play to his potential and be able to help out Zach Wilson in any way. But we've been saying it from the start. This is an evaluation year for the Jets. New head coach, new rookie quarterback. And you, to me, you really can't put a number on, on wins or how much production this team's going to give just because of the past of the Jets. And, and you expected so much from Sam Darnold and you never got that production. So it's really hard to say how much production you're going to get from Zach Wilson in this offense. The, obviously, we talked about the tight end being being pretty slim, good wide receiving core. But I think four to five win, wins is a pretty reasonable expectation for the Jets going forward, at least for this season. And honestly, to me, anything less than that is a failure. They, they can't go and win two games again. They can't win three games. They have to they have to win at least four to five games in order to to get evaluated the correct way, whether, whether it's from the Zach Wilson perspective or wide receiver perspective, because you can't judge Zach Wilson on his play. If he has no tight ends, no, no one to block for him, no one to throw to. So we have to see, but production wise, I, I'm expecting four to five wins from this team and, and anything less than that. I don't like it. And if there is anything less than four wins, I feel like there's going to be a lot of talk going forward about is Zach Wilson, the man is he the quarterback of the future and so on. So, so production wise, not the biggest product uh, uh, expectations for production, but I'm expecting at least four wins from this Jets team. Yeah, I'd stay in that ballpark. I'd say around three to four wins is, is you know, realistic for this team. Um, you know, if everyone plays up to their potential. And Mike, just to push back on, on the point, the receiving room is not bad. I, I just wonder if Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and Jameson Crowder, you know, that trio of guys can really help a rookie quarterback as much as we're hoping they can to get them to that three or four wins. Like I'm not saying those guys are scrubs by any stretch of the imagination. I think they're good players. I just don't know if they have the ability to take over a game. Like there's, certain there's, there's a ton of potential though. And, and that's a start, especially for a team who, who's bringing in a new quarterback from college. So, so I, that's why I like it because there's potential. There's so much talk about Elijah Moore, like, like you said, Mike being the next Justin Jefferson, like he had his rookie season. So there's tons of potential there. And Elijah Moore is going to be able to help, Zach Wilson in pretty much any instance this season, and I'm confident on that. Yeah, I would just say one quick thing. Oh, go ahead, Colin. Oh, they got oh, my bad. They got to hope so in that case because those receivers are going to have to step up, especially if you're stretching it thin at the tight end position. I mean, you're going to have an offense that's going to have to have guys open outside the numbers because over the middle right now, I'm not seeing anything that really scares me as an opposing defense. Yeah, I mean, look, I would say this just to kind of wrap up our segment. And, you know, I, I say every week we do this show, I can do a whole show on the Jets – uh, but obviously, unfortunately, we can't. Uh, maybe I got to talk to Alex about that. If we can do a, a Jets only podcast. I don't know. Uh, but the, the one thing I would wrap up here is first, Elijah Moore. I'm, I'm with Mike here. Look, he hasn't even seen the field. In pre- he didn't even see this, the field in preseason. So we can't get too crazy. That being said, you talk about a, a, a security blanket, uh, safety blanket for uh, for a quarterback. Elijah Moore led all receivers in college football with third down conversions. It was either in 2019 or 2020. I know he didn't play all of 2020 last year, so that wouldn't really make sense. But basically, he's a guy that moves the chains, which is huge uh, for a rookie quarterback. And I think the other thing to think about is this. You know, we talk about receivers 
helping quarterbacks. And I understand Zach's only a, a rookie, but you talk to the guys that are playing with him right now, seeing him in practice, seeing him in the locker room. He acts like a veteran and he's got the arm talent. You know, we, we talk about receivers helping him. Maybe he can be the guy that helps get receivers open, throwing into places. You know, we know the arm talent's there. A guy that can thread the needle, you know, get into those tight windows, you know, look off the safety, get it, you know, get the defense thinking one thing, moving the other. So I think it's a it's a kind of a shared combination. And I think it's also important to note, this is going to be a run-first offense. You know, the the, the shanahan LaFleur system, they have a, a decent running back room, I think, with Ty Johnson, Michael P. Ryan, Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman. You know, look, I think this can be said about the running backs and the receivers. They're, they're not sexy names, but there's a lot of good quality, so much so that you can get enough rotation in there that it should be able to overcome the fact that you don't have the elite singular guy. I think that's, you know, uh, a good enough. And, you know, I think also as for, after seeing what we've seen from the Jets in terms of on-the-field product, they've put out some terrible receiving cores, some terrible running back rooms these past couple of years. I mean, I remember Darnold, it was, was it last year or two years ago? I mean, he was throwing to – it was last year. He was throwing to like guys like Chris Hogan and, you know, to people that, that should not even be in the league anymore. So, you know, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic about the offense and the team as a whole – you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm down to five wins now. I'm not going to, I don't, I just, I have a lot of faith in Salah. I have a lot of faith in, well, I'm not going to say faith, but I have a lot of faith in Salah and I like Wilson so far. So, you know, I, I think five, six, I think five or six wins. I mean, I would love to say seven, but with the Carl Lawson injury, I don't know, but we, we got to move on. We, we spent enough time here on the Jets and we got to touch a little bit on the Giants as well. Obviously some more local news, you know, not as much with them, uh, not really any big moves like the Jets made to kind of talk about. I think, you know, we've mentioned it before on the show, the expectations for the Giants this season are much higher. I think, you know, it's playoffs or bust for them. And if they don't make it, it they're going to be some changes. So I think, you know, looking after the cut down day, I think that's probably the most notable stuff to touch on with the Giants. Uh, Colin, let's start with you. I'm, I'm just curious who, if anyone, was really a surprise cut for you from the Giants. And, you know, what do you think about what they did to shape up the roster? Yeah, for me, that surprise cut is Jonathan Harrison. I mean, th- this is a team right now that is expected to at least compete in an, in an NFC East division that's pretty weak. I mean, what you have Dallas, you have Washington, you should be able to kind of stay around late December, early January, and maybe make that playoff push. And they're only going to do that as long as Daniel Jones is able to play well. And that's only going to happen if you keep him upright. Because last year, the guy was sacked 45 times. You went into the draft, you got a wide receiver early and and Tony, right? So I'm looking at this move as you cut an offensive lineman who, you know, could have developed into an anchor on that line and really protected Daniel Jones. And it just makes no sense. I mean, if your goal is to keep Daniel Jones upright insofar as he can throw to the receiving core that you improved, and you have guys like Darius Slate and Sterling Shepard that makes up a really good offensive scheme and offensive plan going forward, it makes no sense to leave your quarterback at risk like that by getting rid of talent that could have helped protect him. So I, I don't know how I feel about this other than just to say it makes no sense from a football perspective. That's what surprised me most, especially with a team that could very well make a playoff push. My my, my biggest surprise is them cutting the wide receiver, David Sills. I mean, obviously the Giants have a pretty crowded wide receiver room. Canarius Tony wasn't going anywhere. Kenny Galladay, obviously. John Ross just got put on the IR. We got Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. So the wide receiver room is, is pretty packed, but David Sills could, could have been just that extra guy. 
uh, Daniel Jones had as a weapon to go to in, in a time of trouble. I mean, he's a very fast guy. He's not very good at special teams, though, and, and that's kind of what the Giants were looking for, more of a special teams kind of guy who, who can come on for plays here and there in the offense and really just take control of that special teams and do everything that that they needed him to do. So he didn't have that. They cut him. They resigned him to the practice squad, though, which I really like. C.J. Board got resigned, to, to got, got stayed on the 53-man roster, which I like. So the Giants have a, a lot of potential here. Obviously, I just mentioned the wide receiver room where, where they have a lot of potential and a lot of talent there for Daniel Jones. But Colin, I thought you said it perfectly. In order for this Giants team to do good, Daniel Jones needs to be standing on his feet and, and upright and, and looking downfield. He, he can't be on his back and sacked or getting pressure at him every single time he's trying to throw the ball. So they're going to have to fix that O-line. You mentioned that they, they cut people from that O-line who are pretty surprising cuts, but in order for this team to do it, they have to re-strengthen that line to keep Daniel Jones on his feet because if he's on his back, that this Giants team is going to have nowhere to go. And all this potential that they have is just going to go right down the drain because without your quarterback being able to stand up and throw the ball to, to receivers and have time in the pocket, they're never going to succeed. And without that offensive line, that's obviously not going to happen. So the Giants, the Giants have some work to do. But there is potential there, more potential than the Jets, obviously. So we'll have to see where that goes. And just want to mention, Giants are retiring Michael Strahan's number on November 28th when they play the Eagles. Um, so that's exciting. So we'll, we'll have to be excited for that. But a, a, lot of, a lot of time for the Giants to get better and to make more moves. So we'll have to see where that goes. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, nice little note there about Strahan, Mike. Uh, I think they also mentioned they're retiring Eli's number this year, too, at some point. I, yep. I think I saw that on Twitter. So, um, you know, good for Giant fans. You honor your greats. That's always a nice thing to see. Uh, in terms of the cuts, you know, I think Colin, I think you made a great point. I mean, Jonathan Harrison, you know, as a Jet fan, he's a guy I'm very familiar with. He's been the team that's been with the Jets the past couple of years. Um, you know, he can play guard. He can play center. He's a versatile guy. And for a team that, like you said, has struggled with the offensive line, it, it, that's kind of a surprising move for me. I mean, look, I think Gettleman gets overly confident in some of his guys. I guess is the case here. I think he's probably confident with his O-line, which, I mean, he came in here to fix the O-line, and I still wonder whether or not it's truly been fixed. I mean, Andrew Thomas – you know, he's the guy you spent the primo pick on last year to be your franchise left tackle. And the other night, you know, he looked like he was a, a revolving door out there and letting guys go past him left and right. So, you know, I don't really know how that's going to work out. You know, selfishly, I'm glad we got Makai Becton, who's been a little more proven so far for the Jets. But I, I, I digress. Uh, and then, Mike, you make a great point, too, in terms of, you know, Willis. I think even more surprising was they cut Dante Pettis just because he's a, a very experienced guy, you know, had been with San Francisco, made a bit of a name for himself out there, had a strong ending to camp. And like you mentioned, you know, they have injuries. I know they have a lot of good names, uh, but they have a lot of injuries right now. I mean, Carderas, Tony, Kenny Galladay have both been hurt. They haven't really seen the field. Uh, you know, it's all about chemistry when it comes to the receiver position. And, you know, they don't really have that right now with Daniel Jones. And John Ross, like you said, is on the IR. So, I mean, whether you want to mention Willis or uh, Dante Pettis, you know, I think that regardless, it's kind of surprising how they approach the wide receiver cuts. Um, you know, I think, you know, we'll get more into this next week, I think, when we kind of get ready for that first week uh, for Jets and Giants. But, you know, I mentioned this last week with Andrew, and I'll say it here again. You know, this season's on Daniel Jones. There's no excuses. You know, the defense last year was very good. I think you should expect another top unit. And then offensively, they brought in, I mean, you could debate the O-line, but, you know, in terms of receivers, Saquon should be back as well. They brought in, you know, Kyle Rudolph at the tight end position to go with Evan Ingram. I, you know, to me, if this team doesn't succeed, it's on Daniel Jones. And, you know, if that happens, uh, I think there are going to be some, and I said it before, there are going to be some major changes in the offseason. And, Mike, you mentioned there's, 
the Giants are in a better spot right now. And I'm not going to deny that they have a more talented roster. That's obvious. That's why there's higher expectations. Um, But I I, look, I'm I'm a Jet fan, so I'm delusional. So maybe I shouldn't be saying this. But, you know, I think that, frankly, I don't know if I'd maybe I'd rather be in the Jets position right now. And I, I say this because I say it because of this. You know, you're looking at Daniel Jones and you have this great core around you, but look what, what happens now. You know, let's say he has a bad year. Then you have to go out, get another quarterback. You're going to have to develop that guy again. This year's upcoming quarterback class isn't the best. And, you know, then you also have a situation where you're going to have to fire your GM. I, I Like I said, I think if they don't make the playoffs, Gettleman's got to go uh, because it's just been too long and he's, you know, made too many empty promises. And then if he goes, I mean, I think Judge is the guy, but does a new GM want to keep him? I've said this a million times, but I, it's a big concern of mine. Um, you know, so between with all this going on and you look at the jets where everything synced up, the GM was hired the first year, the coach, the next year, they just drafted the quarterback. Everyone's on the same track. Whereas you look at the, and in terms of the roster itself, it's very young. Whereas you look at the giants, you know, you have a very good receive, uh, supporting group, but there's a lot of more veteran guys, a lot of guys who are more in their prime ready to win now. And then you got a GM who's on the hot seat, I would say. You have a coach who, even though I think belongs here, his future could be uncertain if they don't make the playoffs. And they got a quarterback who I think it's a make or break year. And so if Daniel Jones doesn't perform, which I think is very possible he doesn't, you know, you're looking at a potential blow up of the situation, like I said. And I, I, that to me, when you got so many prime players like Saquon and Kenny Galladay and that, that concerns me. Yeah, I mean, especially Saquon hasn't, really done anything yet there's it's very slim chance he's going to be ready for for week one he hasn't taken any hits yet and the first game is 10 days away so that's going to be a problem going into the season opener on on sunday and you said it my guy i'm pretty sure we talked about this on the first episode of nfl friday i don't think joe judge's job job is in jeopardy if they don't make the playoffs this year um dave gettleman though absolutely he's been on the hot seat not only right now but he's been on the hot seat in my opinion for last year and the year before as well and I disagree, though. I'd rather be in the Giants position right now. They have that core around a good quarterback who, who has experience in the NFL, while the Jets are, are bringing in a new head coach, new quarterback, and new pieces all around him. And you just don't know what, what to expect from really anybody. You don't know what, you don't know what you're going to get from Zach Wilson coming out, of, coming out of college in his first NFL game. You really have no clue how he's going to perform. Is he going to be able to – perform to the ability that everyone thinks he's going to, how he performed in, in the preseason. No one really knows. And you know what you're getting out of Daniel Jones. It might not always be pretty and the best, but you know what you're getting and you can work with that. You can work with him and the pieces that he has around him. Saquon, if he, when he comes back, he'll be a huge piece of this team. And I said this on the last episode, if Saquon doesn't perform, I don't think the giants are going to be successful this year. I think Saquon is kind of, that guy who, who needs to perform for this team in order to be successful along with Daniel Jones, obviously because quarterback kind of runs the offense, but without your big guy, like Saquon performing, arguably the best player on the team, then I, I, I think this giant season is going to be kind of a failure because he's the guy he, they picked the number two overall. They rely on him to be good and be that running back that they expect him to be. And without him, I'm not sure if the giants are going to be able to succeed. And if he's not playing well, that's going to affect how Daniel Jones plays and, essentially affect how the entire offense and team plays as well. So, so I see where you're coming from, but I, I'd, I'd rather be in the giants position as of right now, just because of the the pieces they have around their quarterback. I'd much rather be the giants right now instead of the jets. I mean, as you were saying, like it, we know what we're getting from Daniel Jones, theoretically, 
And if you can keep him upright, it's not going to get much worse than what it was last year. I mean, 45 times the guy was sacked. I'd love to see what he could do if he had the protection in the pocket and was able to find these receivers that he has around him. And, you know, Darius Slayton, I feel like we're just waiting on that guy to have a great year and break out. Like, it feels like this could be the year where if Jones gets that protection, which, you know, is a question mark, he could be that guy that Jones goes to and just easy five yards, easy seven yards down the field, bunch of receptions and, you know, possibly a bunch of TDs, you know, and especially in that division, you know, there's really not a monster team in the NFC East right now. I mean, I know people, you know, they have high expectations. Cowboys fans every year say it's their year. I doubt that's going to happen. Same deal in Philly. I doubt that Jalen Hurts is going to be that guy this year that just leads them to an unbelievable record. Uh, and, you know, Washington is a good team, but the Giants can compete with them any day of the week. You know, Washington has a great defense, but their quarterback is not as good. I'd rather take Daniel Jones over whoever Washington decides to start week one in truth. You know, whether that's Fitzpatrick or, or somebody else, I, I would take Daniel Jones because he's younger, he's more mobile, and he has more of an upside. I think that if Daniel Jones is protected, we know what we're getting, and it can't be much worse than what happened last year, and you were pretty damn close to making the playoffs last year. So I would much rather be the Giants right now because at least with what you know can work well, stunt, you know, things like the defense that it will hopefully band together again like last year and get stronger as the season progresses. Things like the fact that Daniel Jones will give you, you know, what he gave you last year at the very least. Things you can bank on are so much different from what you can actually bank on with the Jets, which is not a whole lot because I don't know what you're going to get out of Zach Wilson year one. I have questions about Zach Wilson's durability in the NFL. I mean, I, I look at the guy and quite honestly, I don't know if he's going to make it past eight games based on how he's built as a quarterback. So yeah, I would much rather be the giants to be completely honest. Yeah. I mean, look, this is, this is where I'm coming from with giants. And, you know, I think they have an incredibly talented roster. I, I love the defense. I love the offensive pieces. I'm just not as high on Daniel Jones as you guys are. I, I think last year was putrid and you want to say that was the offensive line. That's fine. But offensive line doesn't excuse, you know, just poor decisions with the, with, with terms of throwing the football not look, you know, you look at the, this, I know this was the uh, inner squad scrimmage, but everyone saw that video of him just, Clean pocket, nothing was going wrong. He just threw the ball right to the linebacker. There was no one in the area. You could say miscommunication receiver. I know it's practice to try and things. But to me, it's a pattern of Jones has a turnover problem. And I know he had a very solid rookie year. I get that. But still, fumbles were a huge year, his rookie year. And he just took such a step back last season. And I know you can say there was no Saquon. And to bring up another reason, I get that. This is a huge year for him. I just, I'm not a Daniel Jones guy. I've never... I, he was good his rookie year. I just was – he was so bad last year. I know you can give another reason why. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, I know I, in terms of – look, the NFC East is is a putrid division. I, and I agree with that. So, I know they were close last year, but they were also, you know, 6-10. and 10. And I, I don't think that, like, you know, that's exactly something to praise. I think that's just kind of a division of a atrophy. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think that um, – it is what it is. I, I I don't know who's going to come out of the NFC East this year. I think the Eagles aren't that great. You know, I don't know. Like Washington, Dallas is my pick if they're healthy, if Dak's playing well. But we'll see. We got some other stuff to catch on though, and then we'll definitely do more Giants talk next week. And then in terms of you know, we talked Jets, we talked Giants. Looking league wide, there's a couple stories I think we should kind of touch on here. The first being, you know, Cam Newton getting cut on Tuesday. You know, the Patriots announced they cut Cam, and I, I personally I was surprised. You know, I know we have talked about it before in the show. 
uh, about the competition up there in New England, who was going to win, whether it be Mac or Cam. And, you know, a lot of people pick the side one way or the other, but I don't think anyone really saw them cutting Cam. Um, you know, he, he had a you know, disappointing year. I think it's fair to say last year, I know the Patriots didn't really give him a lot of help, but, you know, seven and eight record when he started, I know he missed the game because of COVID, uh, 10 interceptions, eight touchdowns. Uh, those are career lows in terms of touchdowns, you know, and the preseason didn't look that great. Had a very rough game against the Giants, just throwing for 10 yards. And then the same contest, Daniel, um, Daniel Jones, Mac Jones kind of went off there for a bit. So, you know, I, I get, I get where Bill is coming from here. You know, you know, Mac is going to start at some point this season. He's your quarterback of the future, theoretically. So, you know, get rid of the controversy now while you can firmly commit to Mac from the start. I think that maybe help him in the long run. So I get cutting cam. I mean, if cam's not going to start, I know you need a veteran, but I don't really think cam's that mentor type quarterback. He's not Josh McCown. So I get where that's coming from. I was just more shocked that the cut happened. Yeah. I, I, I was surprised when I read it. <laughs> I, 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 that was the last thing I was expecting, but it makes sense. I mean, Bill, Bill Belichick has said that Cam Newton is a starting quarterback going forward until someone outplays him and Mac Jones outplayed him. And also, I, I feel like this is this has something to do with Cam's stance on getting vaccinated and whatnot and, and being a fully available, like Urban Meyer said, that we'll get into next. That, But like if your quarterback's not vaccinated, I know we have talked about this on this show on one on one. If your quarterback's not vaccinated, it's very hard for him to lead the team in and be the leader in that team because you can't really do everything that the rest of the team can who are vaccinated. You can't being rooms full of people. You, you have to wear masks. You have to do, there's all these restrictions and it's hard to, to have a starting quarterback run your team and have all these restrict restrictions placed on him that he can't see his teammates. Can't, can't even talk to other people in the locker room. So it's hard. And it's a tough decision that, that organizations are going to need to make. Obviously you can't make cuts due to vaccination status. But it makes sense. You, like you, you can't lead a team if you can't see the team, if you can't be with the team at all times, if you can't practice with the team, if you can't spend time in the locker room. Like it just doesn't make sense. And Matt Jones is a good quarterback. We knew he was going to get his opportunity to start this year. Why not just take that controversy out of the picture, make Matt Jones a starter week one and work with him from there? There's like I, I don't see a point in going to Cam Newton for weeks one through four than Mac Jones week five through 17. It, does, it doesn't make sense to me. Just give Mac Jones the nod from week one and, and get that controversy and, and drama out of there so you can get Mac's mind right, the team's mind right going into the first week and, and go from there. And looking back now, I like the move. Uh, Cam Newton doesn't want to be a backup, obviously. Um, he, he believes there's not 32 players better than him at his position. And could he still be a starting quarterback on another team? He probably can, but but it can't be for the New England Patriots because Matt Jones is their future quarterback and going to be a leader of this team. And this is a move, in my opinion, that has to get done in order to to just move forward and put this Cam Newton era in, in New England in the past. Guys, when I saw this, and, and this is coming from someone that watches a lot of New England Patriots football throughout the course of the year, ever since I was a little kid, this is either going to go really badly or really well, in my opinion, and there's no in-between here. I completely understand why they decided to move on from Cam Newton and start with your guy, Mac Jones. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense in terms of, you know, strategy. And even, Mike, you pointed out with the vaccination status, I, I 
I don't know if that was the deciding factor, but just availability matters. And for a guy like Belichick, you know, it could have been a consideration. Who knows? But, you know, just on a, on a pure football note, last year, the New England Patriots were 30th in the NFL in passing yards. That is horrendous, especially considering they were coming off basically 20 years of Tom Brady, you know, greatest quarterback to play the game. You know, you're banking in at least 200 passing yards a game for a long, long time. This year, you know, you upgrade your wide out core, you upgrade at tight end, you have guys like Hunter Henry coming in, Kendrick Bourne coming in, and you're going to start Mac Jones, rookie quarterback. Nothing wrong with that. Your, your own line's not bad. You still have guys like David Andrews, Isaiah Wynn, who could, you know, possibly protect him. I think it's strong enough to say that he'll have a clean pocket. But the question is, can, can Mac Jones make the throws necessary? And I just, I don't know, especially since he's from Alabama. And we know that Alabama quarterbacks have not turned out the best in recent history. There's just so many question marks in terms of can Mac Jones be an elite uh, NFL starting quarterback? I mean, he has the had weapons around him. You know, in a lot of ways, it's a lot. It's a lot like the Jets receiving cover. I don't see anything that necessarily scares me. Like, there's not that one guy like an Odell Beckham that you look at and you, oh, that's the threat. That's going to be a vertical threat down the field. But you know, there's there's good players, Nelson Aguilar. Kendrick Warner, a guy I mentioned, I mean, pieces that could potentially be those short to medium range passing routes that Matt could hit, you know, combine that with, you know, some timely running from Damian Harris, you know, you might have a winning formula on, on offense, you know, especially with a Bill Belichick defense, which, you know, albeit last year was a little bit weaker, but typically Bill's able to get his defense to a point where it's competitive, at least who knows, it could be semi-successful first year for Matt Jones. I'm just shocked that this is what they're doing off of the bat, especially when, you know, during the preseason, it looked like Cam Newton was going to get a fair shake for that starting role. Uh, if you're a Patriots fan, you should at least be excited that it looks like they're actually going to throw the football this year. You know, last year was just every game they would run, run, run. And, you know, you understood why they did it because, you know, they weren't confident in Cam's ability to just get, you know, drop back in the pocket and sling it. But, you know, maybe this year that changes and you still have James White, who's a good passing uh, running back and go out there, get you a couple of receptions over the course of the game. We'll see what happens. I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic. If you can keep Mac Jones upright on offense, in a lot of ways, it's like Daniel Jones. It really is up to him because he has enough to kind of make it work. But, you know, that remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, well, first off, you want to talk about successful Alabama quarterbacks. Joe Namath uh, is one of them. But that's also, that's you know, a classic name, man. That's a classic name. I know. We're talking We're talking recent memory. Also, Kenny Stapler, but that's another classic name. But anyway, um, I think these are all fair points. I mean, I, the, the, the idea, though, that, like, you know, the, the school hasn't traditionally produced a quarterback, you know, up until Patrick Mahomes, when was anyone saying that Texas Tech, you know, produced great quarterbacks? I mean, I get what you're saying. I mean, I felt the same way. You know, I was worried when the Jets drafted Darnold, like, oh, another USC quarterback. And I guess it kind of turned out to be true. <laughs> but uh, you're you know, making we'll your own point. I'm making my own point. Yeah. But anyway, the, the point is, I, you know, I think, like you said, Colin, the main thing is you'll be able to push the ball down the field now. I mean, they're going to be some head scratching decisions. He's a rookie. Of course, it's going to happen. But, you know. I think it was probably for the best. And, you know, Mike, you mentioned the vaccines and that kind of brings us into our next topic here, which is, you know, the Jags of uh, kind of made some headlines here because, you know, on Tuesday, Urban Meyer, after, you know, after cutdowns happened for the Jags, 
Um, he said, you know, vaccination status was one of the things that he considered when trimming down the roster. It, the players were only cut because they weren't vaccinated. It wasn't like you're not vaccinated, you're gone. But it was, you know, he cited, you know, the strict NFL COVID policies for unvaccinated players. And, you know, in combination with talent, the way they performed and the necessity of the team, I think he also viewed, uh, he said it as much, you know, vaccine vaccination status as a factor. Um, and then, you know, after that, uh, the NFLPA said they're investigating the matter, you know, brought up a little bit of controversy. And then, you know, the Jags themselves had to release a statement essentially contradicting what Urban Meyer said in that press conference. You know, they said, you know, availability, they said, quote, availability is one of the many factors taken into account when making roster decisions. We have vaccinated and unvaccinated players on our roster and no player was released because of their vaccination status. Uh, and then it goes on for a little bit there, but we'll just close the quote right there. You know, um, uh, personally, this is the way I feel about it. And I, I, you guys can let me know how you feel. You know, I think and I've said this before on one-on-one when we talked about, um, you know, different, we talked about this uh, like weeks ago, months ago on a one-on-one about like the NFL vaccination numbers per team. You know, I think, look, from a purely health and morality standpoint, I think you should get vaccinated. I think it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing for your health. I understand maybe select scenarios, someone, you know, they have a medical reason not to get vaccinated. Okay. That whatever. But I think, if you, I think there's really no reason not to get vaccinated. I think it's, you know, it's safe. It's science. It's the right thing to do for yourself, your community, etc. I'm very pro-vaccination, uh, you know. So, and then, but even putting that aside, putting the, the the societal or morale, you know, reasons from a from a sports and success point of view, you want to get vaccinated because you know you don't want to be the team that has all of your guys out for COVID. And then you're like the Broncos starting a practice squad receiver at quarterback like they did last year. You know, the NFL said this season they're not going to be rescheduling the games. I think you're just going to have to straight up forfeit if you can't feel the team. So, you know, from that standpoint, you know, you need your best players on the field. And what's the only way to ensure that get everyone vaccinated. Cause even if there's a breakthrough case and someone's positive, the quarantining procedures are much less stringent. You know, if you are a vaccinated player and you were near someone who tested positive for COVID, I think you can still end up playing because you were vaccinated. Um, so, you know, I think from a, a winning point of view, if you want to put a best team on the field, the best thing for you to do is get your players vaccinated. And if you're a player and you want to help your team win, get vaccinated so you can make sure you're out there. You know, the Jags, um, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily like privately, if they want to think that I'm, I'm, I honestly have no problem with what they did. I mean, when you think about it, I understand the NFL is different. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar sports organization, but at the end of the day, each team is a private entity. It's a private business. It's no different than what any other of these businesses across America are doing or schools that are saying, you want to come to this university, you want to work at our business, you got to get vaccinated. Now, I understand it's different. You know, the NFL and NFLPA have had a long contentious relationship. You know, the NFLPA, even though maybe they agree with vaccinations, they believe in the right to choose because obviously that's a big, that essentially it comes down to they want to be able to exercise their rights versus an owner telling them to do something. And whether that's vaccines or anything else, they're always going to fight that. So I get that, but, you know, I don't really have a problem with the Jags did assuming they actually did take vaccination status into account, just because I think if you want to put the best product out there, you know, that it makes sense. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're a team owned by a guy. It's a private business. And I don't really think it's any different than, uh, you know, any other thing that's going on across the country right now. Yeah. So I am with you. I feel that, that, I'm very pro-choice. So if you want to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. If you don't, don't. I'm fine with that. But in this case, since there is all these restrictions towards players who are unvaccinated and makes everything harder and more strict 
working with your team and being with your team, then I think you have to make it a point to get vaccinated right now. Jacksonville is going to enter the season with in the top five of teams with the most unvaccinated players. So you have to see how, how that's going to work out for them going forward. Are they going to have to forfeit games? Are they, are they going to have to, to sign players last second in order to, to build the team? You don't know what's going to happen, but for Urban Meyer to, to say that, I mean, I, I totally feel like they definitely took vaccine status into account for making cuts. I, I feel like that's very obvious, not just with the Jaguars, but with other teams as well. I don't hate it. Um, if these rules by the NFL weren't in place, all these extra restrictions, I, I, I would be opposed to it. I would say that's not fair and players should have their choice, whether, whether they want to get vaccinated or not, and, and should still be able to keep their job. That's my opinion on it. But with all these extra rules and regulations, it's just hard to be on an NFL team and not be vaccinated when you have to build that brotherhood with, with, with all the rookies and, and the, it, it's a business, man. There's players coming in and out left and right. And you have to be able to know them on a personal level in order to perform with them and play with them and succeed as a team. And if you're not vaccinated, it, it's very hard in, in the NFL. If you're not vaccinated in the NFL, it's very hard to be able to do that. And, and I don't think this is the last of it. I, I teams are going to be, checking players' vaccination statuses when they're making cuts, when, when they're trading players, when they're cutting. It, it, it's going to happen, whether teams admit it or not. It's going to happen. And that's kind of just how it is because teams can't risk forfeiting games because they have a COVID outbreak. It's just not worth it. And, and I know that that's not ideal. But with all these rules in place, there's really no other way to go around it. You're, you're either vaccinated or you're not vaccinated and you can't really do much with the team. So – getting vaccinated for players getting vaccinated right now is just the right move in order to be with their team and help their team succeed the most. But I think we're going to see this not only right now, but for, for this season, for, for at least this season to come in and players getting cut, traded, waived because of their vaccination status, whether it's legal, illegal, whatever the case is, it's going to happen. And it, it's just how it is. Teams need to feel the team that, has vaccinated players in order for their games to not get postponed, canceled or whatever. And that's how it is. And it sucks, but look, owners got to do what they, what they have to do in order to, to field a winning team. And if that's what it takes and that's what it takes. Yeah. I'll echo what you guys just said. I mean, it is what it is at the end of the day, this is a business, you know, you are playing and working for a private entity. If they want to tell you, you need to be vaccinated to play for our team or at the very least, maybe if not, you know, to tell you that you need to, that it's going to be a consideration in terms of whether or not you have a future with us, then in all estimation, they have the right to do that to one extent or another, you know, and personally, I'll, I'll let you know, I think it's a good thing to get vaccinated. I think it's the right thing to do for yourself, for your community, for the people around you. Uh, you know, everyone's going to have a different opinion on whether or not, you know, you should be able to enforce this to one level or another and different nuanced takes, but I think you just keep it sweet and simple is that the more available you are, the more of a benefit you are to your team. And if teams feel that vaccination will help them feel better about having certain guys on their roster, then they should be able to take that into consideration, honestly. I mean, the more personal this becomes, the less logic you, you take into account. Keep it simple, keep it sweet. The more available you are, the more of a benefit you are. Therefore, it makes sense. And it's a business, and that's how it should be looked at. Yeah, great point, Colin. I totally agree. And, you know, I think 
You guys made some good points. I think, you know, I, I think we all know where we kind of stand on this issue. Uh, some good conversation we had here. Um, and it's not kind of easy to transition from a, a super serious topic like vaccinations to a fantasy football, but that's what we're going to do right now. So Colin, uh, you know, we thank you for, you know, obviously we enjoy all your contributions, but of course you're our fantasy football expert this week. We want to hear some fantasy takes uh, as we head into the season here and week by week, we'll be having a fantasy expert on and they'll give us a weekly kind of, you know, sleeper bust breakout for the week, but you know, we're heading to the season. So uh, Colin, I'm curious, you know, right now, I think, you know, you probably have some names for us. Let's start off. What are two guys you think are going to kind of pose for a, a breakout fantasy season? Yeah, I'll start out with two names that I see as breakout slash sleepers. Uh, Debo Samuel, wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers, rough 2020. But in 2019, he had played 15 games, had 57 catches for 802 yards. Obviously, big part of the 49ers run to the Super Bowl with, with Jimmy Garoppolo. And the other guy I have as a potential breakout, you guys can let me know how you feel about this one because it's a name from the past that has reemerged in the future here, is Antonio Brown. People forget this was a guy that was clocking in over 100 receptions a year for you know, a good string of time. You know, and then he kind of falls off the face of the earth with the problems he was having. Now he's back with the Bucks. won the Super Bowl last year, obviously. This is now year two in a row with Brady. I mean, I could see this being a guy that just comes out and has a great year and really helps fantasy owners. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't I don't hate the Antonio Brown pick. I mean, if he can if he can go back to his old ways and cut the antics out and stop getting in trouble, then, yeah, I totally believe he can, he can have a breakout year. I mean, anything is possible when when you have Tom Brady as a quarterback. So I, I don't take that out of the picture. He just needs to stop with the antics and all the drama that that came in from last season, from Pittsburgh to the Bucks. So, so we have to see about that. But my draft is tomorrow night, Colin. So I'll, so I'll be keeping those picks in, in the back of my mind for tomorrow night at 730. Yeah, Colin, I think first Tebow Samuel, I think that's a great pick. He's a guy, I mean, I already had, we had my, our fantasy draft, my friends from high school, we did it, uh, you know, before we all went back to college. So my team's been set for a few weeks. Uh, but Debo was one of the hot names at our draft, like a guy who can get like the mid round. who might be a sleeper pick. Um, you know, I think my, my, I'll be interested to see, you know, I think Trey Lance, I mean, they say they're going to share like, like a college thing. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. You know, I, I think Trey Lance will probably end up being the starter at some point this season. I'll be interested to see how he and uh, Debo work together. And, you know, maybe George Kittle can help Debo get open a little bit. I know it's tight end, but you know, you'll see there in terms of Antonio Brown, good pick. I personally hope you're wrong though. Cause I have Mike Evans. And if, Antonio Brown is having a breakout season, then Mike Evans probably isn't is getting as many targets. Um, but I think uh, honestly, what might help with AB is having a full off season, full season. You know, he came in kind of later last year, you know, learning the playbook on the fly, you know, he's entrenched now with the team for a year. Maybe that will help. Interesting pick there. I think they're both good ones and ones our listeners should keep in mind. And then Callan, of course we have the breakouts. What about a couple of busts for this season? Yeah, unfortunately, I have some busts for you, too. My first one's Juju Smith-Schuster. Obviously, he had the 97 receptions last year with the nine touchdowns, but my problem with this is that his quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, is getting older, which is going to translate to less production because the reality is Ben might not be able to get him the ball by midseason, and if you have to put a backup in there, that chances of Juju having a great year goes down, in my estimation. On top of that, I don't even know if he's – a number one option if he is that guy. I mean, he kind of, he has his moments in my opinion. I don't know. And then my other bust is Clyde Edwards Hilaire running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, his ADP is like decently high considering that he's not necessarily a household name. Uh, 
my thought process with this is that after they got Le'Veon Bell last season, he only played 60% of snaps once the rest of the season. So in theory, his production went down based on the pure fact that he wasn't getting as much playing time to be productive. So in my opinion, he's a bust and you should probably stay away from those two guys. See, especially with, with Hilaire's ankle injury right now, I'm not sure if he's going to be back for the start of the season or what week he's going to be back. But I feel like Juju Smith-Schuster can have a decent year. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is obviously getting old, his arm's not as strong, but I feel like as long as he can get the ball to him quick and efficiently, he, he'll be able to break tackles and, and get loose in the open field and get touchdowns, or even if you're in a PPR league, just, just get downfield and get more yards. So I feel like Smith, I feel like Juju Smith-Schuster could, could potentially be a good pick. Um, but yeah, with, with Edward Talaire, I'm not sure what type of production he's going to bring to the team. He's injured. Uh, I mean, with Le'Veon Bell, I mean, Le'Veon Bell's not there anymore, but last year when he was there, didn't get much playing time afterwards. So we'll have to see about that. But like I said, with Antonio Brown and Tom Brady, if you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, he'll be able to find you in the backfield uh, screen passes and get you the ball whenever you need. So we'll have to see what, what happens with that. But I, I like that pick. I definitely do. Uh, yeah, stay far, 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 far away from Juju. He stinks. He's awful. I had Juju last year. He's atrocious. He's not the guy that he was several years ago. Big Ben is over the hill. I think he's probably going to retire after this season. Um, you know, he's not in the best of shape. You know, and Juju, I mean, last year he was playing in the slot. He's running crossing routes. Like, he was not the deep threat that he used to be because they got some other guys there for that. I would stay far away from Juju. He was a big disappointment for me. I had him as my wide receiver two going into last season, and he was just a bum. So please stay away from him. And then uh, in terms of Clyde Edwards, uh, you know, I think he had a pretty disappointing – I would say because when he was drafted, I think a lot of people were like, oh, this is, you know, he's going to be like Kareem Hunt in this offense. It'll be big. You know, one of my friends even took him in the first round last year, uh, kind of like sight unseen. And obviously – he, he was my RB1 too. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think he was okay, but he was just disappointing. You look at the running back there room now, I mean, Jarek McKinnon, Daryl Williams still there. You know, I don't I don't know who's really going to take touches away from him, but he just – I don't – maybe we'll have a, a good sophomore year, but I, I, it remains to be seen. But, Colin, I think, you know, we I think we're also all interested to hear, especially us Jet fans and Giant fans, you know, what is one guy locally maybe that we could target here in a fantasy draft that is uh, someone to pay attention to? Darius Slayton. If Daniel Jones can stay upright and find his receivers, you got to think Darius Slayton is a guy that he's going to be looking for constantly, especially since they've been working together now for a year or two. That chemistry's there and it's only going to get better. And I just have this feeling Slayton's a big boomer bust guy and he's going to go as far as Daniel Jones goes. So if Daniel Jones stays upright, Slayton's going to have a big year and it's only a matter of time before he even has a bigger year than what he's already given you, which is not horrible, in all honesty. Yeah, I think uh, I think Darius Slayton, I mean, that's a pretty solid pick. I mean, look, you know how I feel about Daniel Jones. My one concern would be maybe, you know, this, they got a lot of receivers in that room now that's going to get the ball. Kenny Galladay, Stone Shepard's still there, obviously. I think Kadarius Tony's going to be your deep threat. So we'll see what happens. I'm Again, I'm not a Daniel Jones fan, so. But, you know, Con, we'll take your word for it. I think Darius Slayton uh, is a solid pick. Mike, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I like the pick. I mean, he's someone who who can get you some points down the stretch. I mean, he's not going to be my wide receiver one or wide receiver two personally. Um, I think there's there, there's better options, maybe not locally. 
since we are talking locally, but I, I do like that pick and he is someone who's going to be able to help PPR leagues down the stretch and get them those final points in order to, to possibly win the week. And if he can stay healthy, if Daniel Jones can stay healthy, if they can stay healthy, he can be a threat that, that down the field and, and potentially going into deeper in the season. So I like that pick Colin, if they, if he specifically can stay healthy, because obviously he got injured during the, the preseason game against the Patriots and, and we're trying to see what, the deal is with him right now. So we'll have to see, but like that pick going down, if he can stay healthy, he'll be able to contribute in more than one way for fantasy owners. Uh, yeah. I mean, Darius Slayton, maybe the one thing that could help him is you know, injuries. If there's none other guys on the field, maybe that'll help him out. Uh, but Colin, thank you for the fantasy advice. I think as uh, you know, we go throughout the season, hopefully you can come back and be a fantasy expert. Hopefully this picks pay off for some people. I mean, Darius Slayton, I think probably that best is a flex, but these other guys, you know, we'll see what happens. But thank you for the insight. And as we wrap up today's show, for anyone who's been a longtime listener of NFL Friday, you know that we do our picks. Uh, we run through the slate of games. And, you know, obviously the season hasn't started yet, but before our next episode of NFL Friday, a week from Friday, um, from today, we'll, we will be, um, it will have been already the season opener. The Cowboys Bucks game will have happened. So we are going to pick that game right now. Cowboys at Buccaneers, these reigning Super Bowl champions taking on Dallas. Uh, guys, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Who do you think is going to win and why? Mike, let's start off with you. Who do you got in this game? I'm someone who, uh, who doesn't bet against. A super, the, the reigning Super Bowl champs, the reigning Stanley Cup champions. I had the Lightning winning again. And, and why bet against a team who just won the Super Bowl and they have, they really haven't made that many changes to their team. And they're just an overall better team than Dallas. And, and I, I believe the spread is seven and a half right now. I think the Bucks are going to win their home opener against Dallas. They're going to cover the seven and a half points, but it's really not going to be a close game. I, I feel like Tom Brady is going to go off. Colin, you mentioned Antonio Brown. He could potentially have a huge game. Mike Evans could potentially have a huge game. I have Tampa Bay beating Dallas, and it's not even a close game to me. I think Tampa Bay is a much better team, a much better offense, and I think their defense is much better as well. And I think just going to be able to outperform Dallas in every single way, and it's really not going to be close for me, in my opinion. I would definitely agree with that. They returned almost, if not everybody, from that Super Bowl roster, and it's Tom Brady. It's opening night. NFL season. He's the reigning champion. You got to know that he's going to be pumped going into that game. He's got the weapons around him. He's got the support from his coach in a way that he hasn't had in a long time. He's feeling better than he probably ever has over the course of his career and in terms of a mental state. Yeah, I see it as a Tampa Bay win by far over Dallas. I think, you know, it could be close in the first half, but I think there comes a point in that second half where Tampa Bay just pulls away. Uh, yeah, you know, normally I would like to be a contrarian and, you know, be like Dallas, but I can't do that. I mean, it's it's going to be the Bucs. They're the better team. You know, you guys already mentioned it before. I mean, first off, Tampa's defense. Uh, I mean, they were the sixth best defense in the league last year, and they only got better as time went on. You know, a lot of those pieces obviously returned. I mean, they still have Devin White, still have Shaq Barrett. I mean, this is a, the JPP. This is a quality defense. And obviously defense, honestly, is what won them that Super Bowl. I mean, they shut down Patrick Mahomes. You know, obviously Brady played well in that game. It was an all-around route in a sense, but you got to give credit to the defense there. And then offensively, I mean, what's there not to say? I mean, obviously, you guys mentioned Brady. You mentioned A.B., Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. You know, running back situation, Leonard Fournette uh, over there with Ronald Jones. You know, we'll see how that kind of duo plays out this season. Um, I just think Tampa Bay is just a better team. They're home. They're Super Bowl champions. Brady, you guys have said it all. 
you know, and then with the Cowboys, you know, Dak, I think it still remains to be seen. They say he's still, you know, he's not really hundred percent back yet. Who knows how that's going to work, you know, and defensively Dallas had one of the worst defenses in the league uh, last year. And also, you know, a a lot of the time it comes down to the coach and I will take Bruce Arians over Mike McCarthy any day of the week, but it, I guess it's a consensus for us. We are all going Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that home opener. I guess we'll see uh, what happens after our next uh, recording or next broadcast of NFL Friday, but that is going to do it for us today on this edition of NFL Friday uh, on September 3rd. Uh, that'll do it for us. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, you can listen to the show every week on iTunes, the WFUVsports.org, or wherever you get your podcast. For Colin Lochran, Mike Messina, I'm Michael Legan. NFL Friday is a production of WFUV Sports. Mm-hmm.